You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. And we just want you to know that as a church family, we, we aim to be a place uh, or a people really that uh, is uh, safe to ask questions about and explore uh, faith with and, you know, just loves people wherever you are in your, uh, you know, your life and in your spiritual journey. So we're so glad you're joining us. We also want you to know that we, we're a family that uh, really loves Jesus and we want to help you all uh, know Jesus better and connect with him and know his love and joy and peace, both in this life and in the life to come. And so uh, last Sunday, we began a brand new sermon series that we're calling What's After Life. And in this uh, series, we're looking at, is there an afterlife? And if there is, what's it like? And so last week, we began with the question, is there any evidence for an afterlife? And uh, what we saw is that if you believe the Bible is reliable and trustworthy, then yeah, there's a ton of evidence that there's life after this life. But we also recognize that there are a lot of people who aren't sure or, or don't believe that the Bible is reliable. And so that's not a convincing piece of evidence for you. And so we also last week introduced a new line of evidence or another line of evidence that seems to really suggest that there is life after this life. And that line of evidence is a uh, weird kind of strange, but it's also pretty compelling. It's the evidence of near-death experiences. And so if you weren't able to join us last week, uh, you can go back and listen to the sermon that I did on evidence for afterlife. Talked a lot about near-death experiences there and kind of why we would say that that's even a source of evidence. You can listen to that on our podcast or find that that message on our website. Or you can also go check out uh, this this website called, uh, it's, it's what's after ATX.org. I think Justin just posted it in the chat box. And if you have never visited that web, really encourage you to, to do that. It's pretty, incur- it's pretty uh, interesting. <laughs> I think that's a pretty safe word to use it. It's got some pretty helpful information on that. So uh, you can check that out. But um, let me just remind y'all, for those who were with us last week or try to catch you up if you're just joining us, a little bit about what we talked about last Sunday. Uh, when it comes to these near-death experiences, and is this an evidence or any kind of uh, you know, suggested proof that there is life after this this life? So, what we talked about last week was that um, as a result of advancements in you know modern medicine, more and more people are dying, like heart stops beating, brain waves cease, and then uh, then they are resuscitated after a little period of time, and often when they regain consciousness. They claim that they experienced life while they were clinically dead. That's the near-death experience. And the reason that people, including previously skeptical uh, doctors, now view near-death experiences as evidence for an afterlife is because many people who say that they had a NDE uh, claim that they remained present in the place where they had died for a period of time before they claim of traveling to a heavenly realm or to a, even sometimes a hellish realm. But it's the result that they claim to stay present where they, they died for at least a period of time that uh, leads to this being viewed as a source of evidence 
Because the wild thing is that they say, okay, I, we, I died, I was clinically dead, but then I still stayed there and I could see what was going on around my body. And whenever they describe what was going on around their, their old dead body, they are making these verifiably uh, uh, accurate claims of what took place. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would they be able to know what was happening around them while they're dead? <laughs> right? That's just, it's, it's, that's a hard thing to explain. And yet, as a result of these claims, uh, doctors and researchers and professors have begun investigating near-death experiences to the point that over 900 scholarly articles have been written studying this phenomenon. And many of those articles have been published in prestigious medical journals, such as the Journal of uh, American Medical, uh, medical Association. And so, as I mentioned last week, there isn't a lack of people making these kind of claims. In fact, Gallup poll ran, in, ran uh, years ago a research poll of, US, uh, of, of Americans in the U.S. and found that about 13 million Americans would say they've had a near-death experience. And that's that's really wild. And so because of these claims, and it's not just in the U.S., it's worldwide. Thousands and thousands of people are saying that they've had near-death experience. And then because of this verifiable data that uh, researchers are able to uh, look at, all of that has caused people to say, man, maybe this really is evidence. There's life after this life. Now, that's what we looked at last week. And the thing that I find fascinating, though, I find all of that really, really interesting, but the thing that I find fascinating as a pastor is that if you, you take what those you know, who claim to have had a near-death experience, and if you, if you listen to what, how they describe life after this life, as they describe the afterlife, and you compare what they say to what the Bible says the afterlife will be like, and the parallels are astounding. I mean, it's really, really fascinating. And so in this series, this is what we're doing. We're, we're looking at those two together, what people who had a near-death experience and what the Bible says about the afterlife to explore what is after this life. And so this morning, what we're going to begin looking at is what the Bible and those who claim to have had a near-death experience say heaven is like. And here's some really good news, okay? Uh, no one describes heaven as a place where you sit on a cloud playing a harp. And here's another uh, bit of good news. No one describes heaven as an eternally long worship service. I mean, I'm a pastor, and that uh, doesn't sound like heaven to me. Like, that would, that would be uh, miserable. Like, can we please go and get some lunch? But um, no, no one describes heaven that way. What I find is really interesting is that most people really struggle to get excited about heaven. I don't know if y'all can relate to that, but it seems for many just really mysterious, abstract, you know, intangible, and it's just hard to get excited about something that's unknown, right, or unfamiliar. I think about uh, a couple of years back, Krista and I got to take our kids to Disney World, and when we first uh, told Camp and Enoch and Dell that we were going to Disney World, uh, they were excited, but they were like um, excited like going to your grandparents level excitement, 
know what I mean? Like they knew that we were going on a trip that, that sounded like fun to them, but they had never been to an amusement park. They certainly never been to Disney World before. They had no idea what to expect. You know, they just, they couldn't picture it. It was abstract to them. And then we went to Disney World and they had the time of their lives. I mean, they still say that that was their favorite thing they've done in their entire life. And they asked to go back there all of the time. Well, people who claim to have had a near-death experience, they sound like my kids after they went to Disney World. Where heaven before was abstract and mysterious, now they talk about it as being the most amazing and beautiful place that they have ever seen, that they've ever experienced. I want to just show you an example of this with this kind of quick little video of people you know, who claim to have had a near-death experience you know, describing what they experienced. Now, I'm sorry, this is going to be a little choppy because of, you know, Zoom, but hopefully it'll still be pretty intriguing and helpful. Watch this. Things were more beautiful than I could ever imagine. It was past anything that I would believe that it would be like. The colors were so alive that the most beautiful day on earth is just a reflection of those colors. The greens were greener. The yellows, the golds, the blues, everything reminded me that earth is a reflection of heaven, but heaven is perfection. So one of the commonalities of near-death experiences is they experience beauty in new dimensions of time and space. Flowers, trees, mountains, forests in colors more vibrant than we can imagine. And they are not limited in their experience of beauty like we are here. About 52% of people having a near-death experience describe beauty in this heavenly realm that is beyond anything on earth, things that are absolutely spectacular. It seemed like everything there was glad I was there. The trees were glad I was there. The flowers were glad I was there. The water was glad I was there. Everything was alive. There was nothing dead. And everything was intelligent. Everything was far more intense. The colors, the aromas, the flowers were such that I felt that I could not only see them, but I understood them. Gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives, but it's beyond words. All right. Can y'all imagine? Like, uh, does it surprise some of y'all to hear them describing heaven and talking about uh, mountains and trees and flowers and water? <laughs> like you might think hey, that doesn't sound like they're describing heaven. That just sounds like they're describing earth, but kind of a better version of it. Right. But what if like the famous uh, <laughs> poet John Milton once asked, what if earth be but the shadow of heaven. What if earth be but the shadow of heaven? Did you know that when the Bible describes heaven, it, it doesn't describe it as an abstract spiritual realm, but as a physical place filled with uh, earth-like beauty? I mean, look at this passage in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. We're given this description. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, you, hear, you read that, you think, okay, wait, uh, you got a beautiful river, a great street, a city, trees, fruit, 
I mean, are those the kind of things that come to your mind when you think about heaven? But that's not all. See, we're also told that animals will be there. Did you know that? Like, look at this passage, Isaiah uh, chapter 11, talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and describing what it's going to be like. It says this, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child would lead them and the cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Matt Cooper, you're on here. Do you see that? There's going to be bears in heaven. Do you know that? Matt, for those of you who don't know, Matt loves bears. But um, anyways, like animals, animals in heaven. You, you see this description? This is incredible, but it's not just like the animals here. Uh, it's animals, but with peace, right? With, with harmony. This is the description that we're given in God's word about what heaven will be like. Where there's no fighting and there's shalom. There's perfect harmony. I love what the author, uh, Randy Alcorn, says about all this. He says this. Let me just read this quote for you. I put it on here. It says, many assume heaven will be unlike earth. But why do we think this? God designed earth for human beings. And nearly every description of heaven includes references to earthly things, eating and music and animals and water and trees and fruit and city with gates and streets. The Bible speaks of the new heavens and the new earth, not a non-heavens and a non-earth. The quote keeps going. It says, new doesn't mean fundamentally different, but vastly superior. If someone says, I'm going to give you a new car, you'd get excited. Why? Not because you have no idea what a car is, but because you do know, and you know it will be better than what you currently have. Likewise, the new earth will be far better version of this earth. That's why we can anticipate it. You see, if we think of heaven as an abstract place where, uh, where, where we are in disembodied spirits, just float around, which is never depicted in the Bible, uh, then we are not going to be able to get excited about it. It's not earth that we long for. It's a new earth. And we long not for a non-body, but for a new body. And that's good news, because that's what we're told will happen. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, he describes the resurrection body, or like the body that we will have after we die, and he describes it in this way. He says, the body that is sown is perishable, meaning this current body, like when it's sown, when it's buried, it, it's, it's perishable. Like it's going to spoil. It goes bad. We all know that's true, right? But he says it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Now, when I used to read that, I would think, okay, what is the world is a spiritual body? And I would just get hung up on this, this word spiritual, but I would completely ignore the word body, right? But uh, it's a spiritual body, and a body is a body, right? A body is not, not a body. It's a body, right? We're going to have a body. It's just this spiritual body. Well, what's a spiritual body? Well, a spiritual body is what he just described. 
A spiritual body is a body that it doesn't go bad, right? That, that doesn't uh, spoil or, 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 or turn bad. A spiritual body is a body that is glorious, that is not weak, but is powerful. I mean, the older that I get, the more I long for that kind of body, right? Am I right, Justin? Am I right? Yeah. Um, friends, this is what we have to look forward to. I think about Chris's brother, Justin. Uh, who has uh, several um, mental disabilities and as a result can can barely communicate and uh, has a hard time controlling himself. But friends, one day in the life to come, his perishable body will be made imperishable and it, it will be made glorious and it will be made powerful. And he and Krista and their parents will talk and laugh and go on walks and swim and, and do all of the things that they have dreamed to be able to do together. That's what we have to look forward to. See, there's a, that's another thing that we're told about heaven. See, not only is it a physical place, but it will also be a relational place, a place that is filled with loved ones and family members and great reunions. In fact, for those of you, who, for those who have claimed to have a near-death experience, this is one of the things they talk about the most. Let me show you one more short video. Again, put up with the choppiness, but watch this. experience say that they have this welcoming committee they call it of friends or relatives mainly who have died already and they come and they greet them and just imagine what that might be like my family appeared one of them put their hand out and i knew it was my grandmother when i looked up there's my family everybody that had been related to me a part of my family came to greet me in my grandmother mary was out front she was bright you know, she had a big smile and pure joy. I was immediately greeted by a group of people, spirits, beings. They were absolutely exploding with a pure love. And I could be with them, and I knew without any doubt that I had known them and loved them as long as I've existed. 57.3% of those having near-death experience describe meeting other beings. When a deceased loved one is encountered during a near-death experience, they may be around the age they died, or interestingly, they may appear decades younger. I'm surrounded by people that I had known and loved in life, and they were all perfect in every way, fully recognizable as themselves. Pero me fijé, pero miré pa derechito, miré a mi mamá y a mi tío. I'm looking at this man who I recognize by my heart, but I knew that that was Paul. He's my great-grandfather. Now, Paul was standing next to Ma. I knew her as an old woman when I was a kid. When she was in heaven, she looked to be in her 30s. This was my family. Hmm. Friends, the, the best part 
of heaven <clears throat> is that we're going to be with Jesus. But the second best part of heaven is that we're going to be with our family and friends who know God. You see, God has intended for our relationships to last forever, that our relationships with him and with others should last forever. That's why death feels so tragic. It cuts us off from the people that we love. But like, what if death is not the end? What if this life is not just, what if this life is just the beginning of eternal life that is full of meaning and lasting relationships? Do you know that that's how Jesus viewed reality? You see, on the night before Jesus would be crucified, he shared the Passover meal with his disciples, his close friends, right? And this is like the most famous meal of all time. But we read about it in Matthew 26. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, don't miss this. Look what he adds. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new what, with who? With you and my father's kingdom. Now, my father's kingdom, that, that's Jesus' favorite way to describe heaven. And so he was saying to them, hey, friends, we're going to be reunited again. Death will not get the final word. There's a day coming when we're going to be reunited in heaven. We're going to sit around the table. We're going to talk and we're going to laugh and I'm going to bring out the wine and I'm going to pop the cork. We will eat and drink together. It's going to be a reunion of relationships. That's what heaven is described to be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, I don't have time to look at it this morning, but just to reference it, I encourage you to look it up. But in that passage, we're told that through Jesus, we will be reunited with those who have already died. And we are told this so that we will not grieve as people without hope. Because Jesus brings us that hope that our relationships will last forever in and through him. You see, when most people imagine heaven, they imagine something that is less real, less tangible, kind of fuzzy, cloudy, lonely, and boring. But the truth is, my friends, it's this life that gets boring and lonely and frustrating. See, this place, this is the broken place. This is the shadow of the world to come. Heaven is going to be a wonderful place filled with perfected earthly beauty and imperishable, glorious, whole bodies and lasting relationships that are harmonious and full of peace. Peace between animals, peace with each other, because we have peace with God through Jesus. And friends, all of what I've been describing this morning, it's all just the icing on the cake because the best part of heaven, the highlight of heaven, is going to be that we are with God. 
Next week, Justin's going to get to talk all about that. It's going to be really awesome. But for now, you might be thinking, okay, well, what does all this mean for us today, right? So as I wrap up, let me just give you two things to consider in light of all of this. The first thing that I want to encourage you to consider is to value relationships and, uh, over achievements and activities. To value relationships over achievements and activities. And so just keep this in mind, that the things you achieve in this life will be short-lived. And the activities that you participate in, though they're fun while they last, when they're done, they're done. But relationships, relationships, friends, can last forever. Think about uh, how many people who've had a near-death experience describe being greeted in heaven by a welcoming party, which is so interesting because that lines up with what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 when he said this, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, which is such a weird statement, right? You think, why, Jesus? He says, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Like in other words, he says, don't use all your money in this life just for your own personal indulgence. He says, use it to invest in personal relationships because the people that you invest in, that you care for, and that you help, those are the people that will welcome you in heaven. Friends, since our relationships can last forever, let's prioritize them wisely. The second thing I want to encourage you to consider is this. Uh, get to know Jesus now. Get to know Jesus now. For listen, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full or sometimes translated so you can have abundant life. Life to the limit. Life as it was meant to be. So see, this life, as it's meant to be, is where beauty isn't fleeting, and sickness is no more, and relationships are not broken. We were made for that kind of life, and Jesus came that we might have it. And so get to know him now. For you see, that life, it's not found outside or apart from him. It is found in him and through him. See, Jesus didn't come just to be a good example for us, and he didn't come just so that we could be forgiven from our sins. He came ultimately to bring the kingdom of heaven where all will be well and to make the way for us to be able to enter into it, which means beginning a relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship you can cultivate in this lifetime. And we as a church, we'd love to help you do that. Friends, heaven is going to be amazing. And our relationships with God and his people will convey for all eternity. Because of Jesus, we have so much to look forward to. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to move to a time of taking communion. Let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, in your word, you tell us to set our mind on things above, to set our mind uh, on heaven. God, will you help us do that and in doing it find hope that this life is not as it's meant to be, 
But because of your great love, you sent your son, Jesus, you came willingly to live the life we were supposed to live and then die the death we deserve to die to make the way for us to be reconciled to you and for you to be able to bring heaven to earth. God, you've made the way for us to enter into the kingdom. Would we trust you? Would we get to know you? And Lord, that we would find life in you, Jesus, and that you would fill us with hope now as we wait and as we live with purpose and meaning for you to have a plan for us right now in this life. God, would we invest in the relationships you put in our lives, that we could love them like you love us, and that we could help them know of your great love for them. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.